you'd like to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Junior church, maybe they dismissed. They're gone. We've been looking at what should a church be. What should be what should we be like? Why are we here? Why are we here individually? Why are we here corporately? And we're just going to close out our, it was just a couple week messages. Because again, it's important to know why we're here. Sometimes I think we lose sight of the goal. I was telling you last week how my wife and I and five kids got lost in the woods a number of years ago. And it was a very frightful thing, and we were using energy. We were busy, but we were getting nowhere. In fact, we were probably getting deeper into the woods. Finally, we prayed. Thankfully, the Lord led us to a home, and we were back at our car within an hour of being lost. But sometimes we get lost in the woods of life. I mentioned to you last week, this is a a verse you'd want to write down if you didn't last week, Proverbs 14.8. It says, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. See, it's, it's uh, wisdom for the prudent to know the direction he's going, to understand his way. The idea is to understand, is to be able to really know, as I take my steps through life, where am I, go- where am I going to end up? Some of us are chaotic in our the path of life. We're chaotic. And what do you mean by that? Well, I mean we're chaotic in the way we do things. We almost work off of feelings. In fact, we do. And we just, well, we feel like having Bible study today or we feel like praying today or we feel like reaching out today. And rather than where you have determined, oh, this is what God wants me to do. It's not about feelings. It's about me walking the path. So the prudent one understands his way. In other words, he knows where the patterns of his life are going to lead him. And I mentioned that one study by Oswald Sanders, a study in the sense, just an observation really, that if you take out the time that you spend with, you know, sleeping and eating and working and traveling, most of us have around 30 hours extra each week. And the question is, what are you going to do with your extra time? Because most likely, in a a very real sense, what you do with that extra, as it were, two days waking time is going to determine much of your eternity. Whether you're going to just, are you going to be rewarded because you use your time well? Was your life extraordinary or was it just ordinary? Was it that you got to the end but it was very selfish and, yeah, I enjoyed life but it was all about me? See, we have to make determination because time is eternity's dressing room. I love that. See, what I'm doing today, right now, what, are you, what you're doing right now, what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. By the way, in men's prayer, we've been talking about work and how work is sacred. Not just pastoral work, but what really every moment of your day should be given to God because whatever I do, I give glory to God, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so every day we need to be organized, as it were, and we're orderly and say, you know what, this is, this is a time frame that God has given me. And, and time is eternity's dressing room. I, I know that what I'm doing today is going to affect my reward. Now again, not my salvation. Thankfully, in Jesus Christ we are saved, right? Complete, final, it is finished, he said on the cross. But again, it is... The, eternity's dressing room that what we will receive as rewards will be determined by how we live on this earth and so we want we want to we want to again understand our way i want to be and that means we have to come back and evaluate and say okay really am i walking a path that is going to be pleasing to jesus christ am i walking a path that is going to um, give me the most reward at the end day Uh, i remember jonathan edwards Many feel that he was one of the greatest, if not the greatest thinker of all time in America. But he basically lived towards his death. Every day he reminded himself that he would die. And then he would stand before Jesus Christ. And was his life today going to count for then? 
And I think that's a good admonition for each one of us. So that's personally. Are you living your life in such a way that you're honoring Christ towards that day of reward? But then we also looked at the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church. And that, that gets more from the personal to the corporate. How, do we, how does Jesus Christ not just want us to live our individual life, but our corporate life together? The church here at Alfred Allman Bible Church. How do we live corporately? In other words, why are we here? What is our mission? What is our purpose? Again, the reality is that there's a lot of uh, resources in this church, but they're limited. I mean, even though we say there's a lot of resources, you know, spiritual gifts and time and energy and finances, still, it's still limited. So we have to make sure that what we're doing is really what Jesus Christ wants us to do. And, and I believe that you find this in the, in the first century church. This is in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. You find that Peter has preached his, uh, his famous message, as you were, on, on the day of Pentecost. They have asked the question... Um, verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, that's the audience, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And really the word isn't so much for as because, because of the remission of sin. The idea is this, baptism was very closely associated, so closely associated with conversion because actually they, the New Testament Christian, first centuries, considered this, that until you were baptized, you really didn't confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. It was the, it was the baptism that said, yes, I am a believer. Not that it made you saved, but it, yes, I am a believer. Um, very, very important. Why? And you say, well, what, why would... Why were they so strong about that? Because Jesus had told them in Matthew 28, what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them. The, the early church knew it was an absolute commandment of Jesus Christ that when you receive him, that you would be baptized. Well, let's go on and see what this church did. Verse 40, let's just skip down to verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word, I like that word, received his word, were baptized. And because, again, they were obedient to what Jesus Christ had said in Matthew 28. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, verse 42 is where we start understanding the why. Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing as a local church? Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Skip down, those who believed were together. Verse 44, look at verse 47, the last part. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And there's four major things that are happening in this New Testament church. And I believe we should take our church and use the first century church as the model and say, is this happening in our church? Because if it's not happening in our churches, there's something that we need to evaluate and say, wait a second here. We want to make sure that we're doing things right. The first thing about the first century church, and also should be said about our church, is that it is a teaching church. It's a teaching church. Because again, verse 31 says, those who gladly receive the word. Gladly receive the word. Sometimes when we receive something, we don't gladly receive it. Uh, you have to go to the doctors, get a shot, you know, because you have a disease. Uh, I don't gladly receive that, but I'll take it anyway. But here, eh, that's probably a pathetic illustration. <laughs> don't ever use illustrations. You know what? Let me show you one over in James chapter 1. Because this, this really tells us what this idea of receiving means. James chapter 1, verse uh, 17. <clears throat> well, no, let, I guess for time's sake, let's just go verse 21. Go to James 1.21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now, now here's James uh, encouraging uh, those who are scattered abroad. We find that in chapter 1, verse 1. And he says, listen, we still have filthiness. Do you have filthiness still in your life? Ungodliness, sin. But he's saying, listen, 
Do you have an intensity? Do you have a desire to lay aside that filthiness? He actually tells them to do it. Therefore, lay aside the filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. And that's the put off. This is actually a put off, put on passage. But he says, you know, as you look at your life, do you see that you have need? You have need for God. You have need for His Spirit. You have need for His Word that transforms our mind. And so he says, you know, we, we have to get intense about our sin. Sometimes we do not change and grow because we are not intense about changing and growing. See, you know, we say, eh, you know, I'm bitter. I know I'm bitter. I've been bitter for, you know, the last 25 years. Ever since that person hurt me, I've been bitter. But, you know, I'm just going to always be bitter till the day I die. No, we've got to get intense. God doesn't want us bitter. And throw anger into that mix, too. No, no, God doesn't want us angry unless it's for righteousness, eh? Well, I'm covetous. You know, I've always, my family was covetous. I'm covetous. No, no, God doesn't want you covetous. He wants you to be uh, contented, right? Oh, uh, you know, I'm selfish, but, you know, I'm, I'm angry because I'm Irish. No, I'm not even Irish. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anybody. No, but, you know, you hear that as a statement. You know, it's almost like, well, my legacy, my heritage, you know, this. No, no, wait, God wants us to change and grow, so he says, lay aside filthiness. And I, it's interesting, the intensity of these words. You know, not just a little bit of bad. Filthiness. Overflow of wickedness. And he's talking to Christians. So, you know, we need to see our pride in light of God's holiness. We need to see our impurities in light of God's justice. You know, we need to get intense about our sin. And say, you know what, Lord? I can't get rid of it, but through the power of your spirit, through your word, you know, it can be destroyed in my life and replaced. And then he says this, and receive with meekness. The word meekness is humility. Humility. So I receive the word of God with humility, but then he tells us what the word of God has done in our lives. The implanted word which is able to save your souls. It was this word that brought me to salvation. Do you remember your day of salvation? Do you remember when you were walking in darkness and the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the only Savior, came to you? You know, maybe someone was sharing, maybe it was preaching, maybe you're just reading the book, the Bible. But you recognized your need as a sinner and he was the only Savior. And the Bible told you to believe on him, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And it was the day of your salvation. It was that day when you went from death to life. And so James draws the hearer back to that, that implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But then notice what else he says, verse 22, but be you doers of the word and not hearers. See, he's, he's showing us what does it mean to be receptive to the word. This is the illustration. He's told us to receive with meekness the implanted word. Then he says, but be doers and not hearers. Why? Because if you do that, if you just hear the word and you're not doing it, application, then what does it say? Deceiving your own selves. You're just deceptive. You're deceiving yourselves. You know, well, I went to church. I heard a great message. You know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but you know, he doesn't understand. You know, I don't, you don't understand. No, God says, what the word says, you're willing to do. I want to do it, Lord. I want to do it. And then he gives... The second part of the illustration, for if anyone is a hearer, not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. Okay, so we all did this probably most of, let me see, I think most of you did this in the morning. Eh, there's a couple back there I'm not sure of. No, I'm just kidding. You go in the morning and you go to the mirror and you look at the mirror. And what does the mirror do? It tells you what you look like. Because at that point, up to that point, you could be thinking you get out of bed and you're all doing great and then you go and you say, whoa, <laughs> deal with the hair. <laughs> now look at this. Now, but, then, but let's read this again after that illustration. For if anyone he is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing a, face, a natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, whoa, do something with the hair but goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. He doesn't change. No, actually, all of you look great. <laughs> you must have observed the mirror and the mirror and then did something about it, right? And for some of you, it took an hour and a half, but still you got here. No, <laughs> I have teenagers. I'm the type of father that... You ready? Are you almost ready? You know, this is on the bathroom door. Hey, are you done with the shower yet? You know, I'm, we're living on a well. You got to hurry. 
I keep saying I'm going to get this five-minute clock, and I just, I keep telling my wife, we even have one on the refrigerator, I got to get this five-minute clock, you know, that's right there, so when you're taking a shower, you can see, okay, four minutes, three minutes, two minutes. But you know what? They'll, they'll disregard that. I think what I'm going to do is, is hook the clock to the shower. Because I noticed that in New York State parks, they used to at least, you could like hit the thing and then it would automatically shut off. Except this time it will shut off for good. So you got the button. Okay, how do we get into that? Anyway. But he forgets what kind of man he was. But he, but who, but, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Now, I want you to catch that last little bit. You can go to the word like a person goes to the mirror. But you can walk away, forget the type of person you are. You've heard it, but you have not done it. And according to the last part of that last verse, this one, what one? The one who does the word will be blessed. You want to be blessed? Hear it, receive it, do it. Because up to that point, you won't be blessed. Just because you hear it doesn't mean you're going to be blessed. You have to do it. So that's the type of Christians, and you can go back over to Acts chapter 2. That's the type of Christians that we find in Acts chapter 2. When it says that they gladly received his word, and then they were baptized. Now again, when you were baptized, it meant it was a public confession of your conversion. Just like a, Now again, put yourself in the first century. You proclaim yourself as Jesus Christ. Many times it, when they would go into the waters of baptism and they, they would come out pro- professing themselves to be saved by Jesus Christ alone, they would give them a new set of clothes. But just think about the persecution that would happen in that group. They have professed themselves as Christians. They are in Jerusalem amongst all those Jewish individuals who Judaism and Christianity was considered against Judaism, right? The whole, and so now they've marked themselves. And yet they marked themselves and it says they gladly received the word. They gladly did it. You know how it applies to our life? It's when the word of God tells us to do something very difficult and we still are willing to do it. By the way, that's why that illustration about the shot in the arm isn't really that good. Because sometimes I will go to the, hospital, or the doctor to get the shot because I know that I need it. And sometimes we do the Word of God and sometimes it doesn't feel good, but we know we need to do it. Giving is like that. Sometimes people don't want to be generous, but we know that it's what God desires. Sometimes we have to reach out to an individual who has hurt us to, to uh, reconcile this, the uh, relationship. That's not easy, but it's what God wants us to do. It's hard. Right? So there's a lot of hard things that God expects us to do. But, but we have to receive the word. Let's go to a, a second characteristic. Second one is this, a caring church. A caring church. Because you see, in verse 42, not only did they continue in the apostles' doctrine, in other words, they're submissive and teachable and all that, like we said, they received the word, but they also continued steadfastly in fellowship. That word con- continued steadfastly would carry on to all the different actions here. So it's a caring church. It had fellowship. The word is koinonia. Not many of you believers, I mean, many of you know, that you have heard that word koinonia. It's word partnership or fellowship. It means community. It means intimacy. I'd encourage you to underline that word, fellowship. Uh, it refers to, this is what Chuck Swindoll uh, gave as a definition for fellowship. It refers to close mutual relationships where people share things in common and remain involved with one another. So let, let's break this down. Okay, so fellowship is this. Uh, it, it refers to the close mutual relationship. So there's relationship. When I say that I'm in fellowship, that I'm, you know, we are having fellowship, it's some close mutual relationships where people share things in common and remain involved with one another. I remain involved. By the way, is that easy to do? That's hard. To remain involved with one another. 
Oh, it's easy to say, how are you doing? You know, have you ever had this on Sunday morning? Oh, how are you doing? And maybe you were having a really rough week and you're about ready to tell the person how you really had as a week and then, you know, they just kept walking. <laughs> it, it's sometimes hard. It's hard, you know, in fact, I've had people stop me and, and, and when I asked that question, they said, do you really want to know? <laughs> well, not really. I got it. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, I think if we ask the question, I really hope you do ask the question. How are things going? I hope, I hope you're honest enough to stand there and, and listen and, and that the person is willing to say, this, I'll tell you how, how things are going. I'll tell you how. You know, pray for me on this. Um, so again, that's, where, that's what real fellowship is. It's not potluck dinner, dinners. It's not having donuts. It's not a Christmas concert. It's not going to the game together. By the way, those are things that Christians do that are good, but that's really not what fellowship is. By the way, fellowship can happen at some of those, but you can't say that it's fellowship simply because you're you know, going to a concert or something like that. Uh, again, fellowship involves sharing what I have. That, let me just say it that simple. It involves sharing with what I have because that's what the... The, it, the word means community, intimacy, relationship. It's me wanting to get involved in your life and sharing. It has to do with close relationships. Next week we're going to be talking about small groups, home groups, men's prayer, women's groups. Small groups, less than 20. What? Where hopefully fellowship is happening on even a more intimate level because it's one thing for me to look out and I'll shake your hand on the way out. And it's great. I mean, I love being here. Do you love being here? I hope you love being here. I hope this is like the highlight of your week. Man, I get to be around other Christians. You know, I can't wait to... And boy, the worship, and you know, there's a dynamic in corporate worship you don't find personally. But again, but we also need this smaller, where we can see perhaps more intimately, you know, and and really iron sharpens iron in in small groups. And we're going to really seek to encourage you... (coughs) to, get, to get, get connected with at least one small group this next year. Because again, this is fellowship. It's sharing the bad times as well as the good. It's cultivating intimacy and harmony. You know, it's, by the way, it's interesting how this works. They, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and then the next word is, and they fellowship. And it, it kind of goes like this. You can learn a lot, but it's in the fellowshipping that you really are showing love, right? Or to say it this way, in the church, the Word of God is not only learned through teaching, it is lived through fellowship. See, we've got to learn it, but then the Lord says, but now apply it. Well, I can talk about love. I could preach a whole series on love. I can talk about patience and love is kind and love is, you know, doesn't keep a track of wrongs, you know, that are, are hurt, you know, the hurts that you have and, you know, believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things and love never fails and boy, but then you know what will happen in your life? God will place in your life one person, you might even be a Christian, that really frustrates you. And you know what he's doing? Live it out. See, you, learn, you know the principles. Live it out. I wish that person wasn't in my life. No, exact opposite. Thank you, Lord, for letting that person be in my life. Because now I'll see if my love is true. Is it really real? Or is it just because I had an easy going, all my relationships were together? See, he'll put that one person because you learned it, but now you need to live it. By the way, this changes the dynamic of the Christian life when you start realizing God is orchestrating your life and the things that you're learning, he now wants you to put into practice and live it. And then it becomes exciting. Even those difficult people become exciting. Oh, I see where I was responding a few years ago. I saw where I was responding six months ago. Lord, change my heart. Change me. I'm not asking you to change them. I'm asking you to change me. So I can show love to that person. And whatever, whatever truth you're learning right now, whether it's you know, patience and kindness, and, or maybe it's generosity, and maybe it's just being empathetic or bearing one another, whatever it might be, God puts opportunity for us to live out truth. It's a caring church. That's what we see in the, in the book of, uh, of, uh, book of Acts. Uh, you know, when you think about caring, again, it's sharing There are three attitudes that a person can have towards what he has. 
Now, this is what, when, I, when I mean by what I have is I don't mean just finances. I'm saying whatever you have, you have the bif- uh, ability and time and gift of encouragement. You have the gift to be able to comfort. You have time to be able to reach out, um, you know, use your spiritual gifts, whatever it might be. You know, the thief says this, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. That's the thief. That's his thinking. Whatever you have, I just want. And by the way, the thief is like this. It's totally self-centered. And by the way, I can't steal your spiritual gift, but sometimes when it comes to with, uh, the way we treat each other, it's almost like a thief. It's all about me, 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 me. Please minister to me. I need me. I, don't, I, I know I wasn't on tune at all, but don't worry about it. <clears throat> the selfish person says, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. I'm afraid that some Christians are very selfish in the resources God has given to them. But the caring person says, what is mine is really God's, so I'll share it. And I trust that we fall into that category, that whatever you have as resources, your time, your ability, your giftedness, your finances, you know, whatever you have is really God's, and I need to share it. I, I need to develop relationships within the body of Christ. You know, that, that they see, yes, I am, I, am, I am a giver. I am generous with what I have. And again, I'm not just talking finance. I'm saying whatever you have. Some of you have a nice home, but you've never had anybody in. Some of you have a great ability to write, but you've never wrote a, a letter or an encouragement letter to someone and say, you know, I know you're having a really difficult time. I am praying for you because you really are. And I just want you to know this. I mean, there's so many gifts and abilities we have um, that develops that close radical commitment to each other. Acts 2.44 says that all who believed were together. In fact, they even were willing to sell their possessions and their goods and divide them among all as anyone had need. I mean, they were willing. Why? It doesn't mean that we have to do that, but it means that we would be willing to do that. Actually, that's what he's talking about. That's not a command that, well, we all have to sell our houses and our lands and, you know, just give it. But you know what you see in that, the heart added to those people? Listen, I love you so much, I'll do whatever I can with the resources God has given. We have to be willing. See, the first Christians, the first century Christians had one heart. They were one mind with each other. They had a deep spiritual unity. <laughs> in fact, let me, let me show you how deep it was. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is a good illustration of fellowship. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're really, there's going to be three different groups of people that are referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 4. This is about bearing one another's burdens. Or, to, I think I, I put in your outline a, uh, a, um, a quote, which is, because this, this shows your real faith, and it's this, quote, Faith justifies the person. We know that, right? We're justified by faith, faith alone. Faith justifies a person, but, and works justify his faith. Now, I want you to think about that. Faith is what saves us, but what we do shows whether or not truly we are saved. That's James 2. And here is a group of people in 2 Corinthians 8 that really show their faith, that really it is genuine. Verse 1, moreover, brethren. Now, who's the brethren there? Well, Paul speaking to the Corinthians. So this is brethren of the Corinthians. We, know, we make known to you, in other words, I want to tell you something. We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So now we find out our second group. That's the Macedonian. In other words, he's saying it this way. I want to tell you, Corinthians, something about another church, the Macedonian church. And it all has to do with the grace of God. What do you mean the grace of God? Well, the grace of God saves us, but the grace of God also is what transforms us and makes us into Christ's image. In fact, you know it's grace. Look at this. Go to verse, um, verse 6. would also complete this grace. Verse 7. In this grace also. Verse 8. Or verse 9. Grace. You see grace and grace. You see grace. In fact, some have said this is grace giving. Okay? In other words, unless you had the grace of God in your life, you wouldn't do it this way. So go back to verse 2. So we have the Corinthian brethren who he's writing to, referring to the churches of Macedonia. By the way, the church is plural, not just one group. 
that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, that's the Macedonian Christians, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now, that's a mouthful. Basically, what he's saying there is they had a great trial of affliction themselves. They were under great persecution. They were not wealthy. It says they had deep poverty. In fact, MacArthur's uh, uh, comment says this. Deep means according to the depth or extremely deep. Poverty, most severe. They had, a, they had severe poverty in their own lo- location. So, but Paul's referring to them and giving them as an illustration. For I bear witness, verse 3, that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing and freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship, underline that, of the ministering to the saints. Now, what was happening? Well, the third group is the saints, verse 4. Now, you have three groups here. You have Paul talking to the Corinthians, telling them about the churches of Macedonia, how they had helped the saints, and the saints there are the Jerusalem saints. Now, what was happening in Jerusalem at the time? They were under severe persecution. Severe. You know, Nero basically pointed the guns and, 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 and through the Roman Empire were just slaughtering. And they were in poverty. And they were, you know, um, without. So you have this really needy group of Christians called the Jerusalem Christians. And this church in Macedonia, the churches, looked at their brethren, which were hundreds of miles away, and said, we need to help them. We need to share. True fellowship is I'm willing to give what I have. And they were willing to give of what they had to the hurting Christians in Jerusalem. By the way, you might say, well, again, well, they had all kinds of money. No, no, they had deep poverty. They were themselves suffering, but were willing to sacrifice, keyword, for the Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul's looking at their sacrifice from the Macedonian churches to the Jerusalem church and telling the Corinthians, that's what we need to be. That's, that, is a, that is one of the best illustrations of true fellowship. Again, driven by what? Verse 1, the grace of God. It's the grace of God that does it. They were hurting themselves. But I think we need to ask the question of ourselves. What do you have that you can share? Now, again, I'm not talking about the financial portfolio at the moment. I'm not talking about just finances. Although that's part of it. You have time. You have experience. You have wisdom. You have the ability, perhaps, to really, really encourage. Maybe you don't, but you need to learn that. You have the ability to reach out and with compassion. See, what, what resources has God given to you? And do you ever see those resources, or do you see those resources as, Lord, you've given them to me, now how do you want me to share them with others? Especially believers. Especially those of the household of faith. See, Paul is telling the Corinthians that this is, this is the example he's using. He's saying, listen, these guys, man, out of their deep poverty, they were willing to share. I, I love this. They abounded in their riches of their liberality. I, I, it, this is kind of like the picture. Paul comes through. I, I, you know what? I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure if he came through or, if, or they were collecting and then giving it to him. But the point was this. The offering basket was uh, given. And maybe even someone saw so-and-so put in that money and knew that that was like the last of they, all they had. You really want to give that? Yeah, I really do. You really do? Because that means you may not eat tonight. No, I really want to sacrifice for my brethren in Jerusalem. See, that's love. That's, that's true fellowship. See, we all have means. We all have ability. It's just question is, do we see it before God? And if we want Alfred Allman Bible Church to really be a light on the hill, as it were, then hopefully our fellowship with one another, our love and our sharing, willing, willing to sacrifice for each other, it should be known in the community. Boy, those guys really love each other. By the way, that was one of the greatest reasons why there was such an evangelistic explosion in Jerusalem and in the New World. They looked at Christians and they said they love each other. We can't explain it. It would drive people to find out the source of the love because they loved each other. So again, I trust that you are, are willing to give. You know, Acts says this, it's more blessed to give than to... Do we believe that? I wonder in John Prince's life if I believe that. 
Do I really believe it's more blessed to give? I was looking up uh, different things, and actually, James McDonald had a prayer on fellowship, and this is what he said. Father, open my eyes to see needs. You have provided for me to help meet. As you are the great giver, so I have been made in your image and saved by your grace to give. Who I am and what I have comes from you. I want to be directed by you in how I use what you have given to me. Help me to never lose sight that I belong to you and can be an instrument in your hands for your work in this world. I thought that was a great prayer. Lord, everything I have is yours. Just help me to open my eyes. Just open my eyes so I can see it. And then be obedient to give in whatever area. So how have I or how will you practice fellowship in action this next week? I, I trust that you will. I trust that you maybe even go home and, Lord, open my heart so I see needs. Well, how about the third one? Third one in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me get back there. <clears throat> in the breaking of the bread and in prayers. In the break- By the way, the breaking of the bread would be communion. It's not just talking about at a meal, but actual communion, Lord's table. And then prayers means, it literally there's a definite article, the prayers. And most likely he's talking about formal prayer times. If you put those together, communion, which really represents our communion with Christ, and then the breaking of bread, or the, excuse me, the prayers, our dependence on Christ, that's why we pray and worship. Actually, all that turns to this, a worshiping church. You see here a worshiping church. You see here a church that gets together, they learn together, they live it out in fellowship together, and they worship the Lord together. There's communion. Did you know that in the first century, failure to come to the Lord's table was cause for church discipline? Person said, I don't want to, I just don't want to. They would actually come to you and say, you know what, we plead with you. This is a commandment of God. Come to the Lord's table. That's why Jesus said in in the imperative, do this in remembrance of me. But not only did they come together to the Lord's table, but again, the prayers. You know, praying shows dependence. And they got together, not just individually at home, but corporately together to pray. Pray about needs. Pray. And part of prayer, by the way, is worship, right? I mean, when I pray, I hope you don't do this in your prayers. Lord, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. I like to spend some time at the beginning of prayers to make sure I acclimate my mind that, you know what, Lord? You are the good giver. You're the good shepherd. I love you, Lord. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're my stronghold. You're the almighty one. Your purposes are being accomplished. Lord, help me not, and help me not to get drawn down to these, that everything is just, oh, I just need, because we need to worship. By the way, he, he desires our worship, but we need to worship. It readjusts our heart. So that's what they did. They got together. Interesting fact about worship in the, in the Bible. If you take all the Bible passages talking about worship, half of everything the Bible says about worship condemns false worship. Condemns it. So the idea is this. Just because we think we're worshiping doesn't mean that it's pleasing before God. There's a real possibility that we could be thinking we're worshiping. We could come to Sunday morning thinking we're doing everything God wants, and the reality may not be pleasing to God, acceptable to him, like Hebrews talks about, the praise of our lips. One thought, John Scott Stott says this, Christians believe that true worship is the highest and noblest activity, activity of which man, by the grace of God, is capable And to that, I say it's true. That's the highest activity to worship God. But at the same time, it highlights what is perhaps the greatest shortcoming of the evangelical church in America today. And that is this, that for a large segment of the church, indeed, maybe even, maybe even the majority of churches, true worship is almost non-existent, end quote. And that's like, whoa, what do you mean? Maybe non-existent. You know, we pay worship leaders. We, you know, come together and we worship. We, by the way, worship is not just our singing, it's every... But then he goes on and says this. Ours is a self-absorbed, 
man-centered age. And often even the church has become, quote, treasonously self-centered. And you start saying, I wonder if that's us. I wonder if that's me. Well, if you ask questions like this, then it kind of gives an indication. What did I get out of the service? Did it meet my needs? How do I feel? Does it suit my taste? See, if those questions are asked or go through your mind, well, it's not about, right, me, treacherously self-centered. No, we don't want to, no, we come together. Why do we come together? Because we are able to worship God together. There's a corporate dynamic. We come together to worship him. And we come together to be an encouragement and fellowship and caring for one another, right? Really, the last question should be anything about me. It's just really, I, I come together for him and for you. And see, that's a, that's a worshiping church because our eyes are focused on him, to give him praise, to give him glory. One of the things that really irritates me, really frustrates me, is at the dinner table when I find one of my kids texting. Doesn't that bother you at times? Let's just say it. I'm a part of the older generation. Okay. <laughs> Listen. If you're at the dinner table, this is about friendship and fellowship around, and you need to stay focused on who's here. It's about family. You know, I yet have yet to grab the phone and toss it around. I haven't done that, but sometimes I feel like it. I know I'm the older generation. That's hard for me to say. Now, but think about this. Yeah, I hear this older generation up here saying, yeah, that's right. Yeah, man, go again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, let's move from cell phones to worship, though. Sometimes I wonder if we're that focused, though, in our worship. I walk out sometimes, and I see people chattering, and I see people showing their phones, and I say, you know what? Why? By the way, I, I'm okay. Sometimes I know young children out there. And, but you know what? Hey, should we, should we agree together right now that if the corporate body, Alfred Allman, is worshiping, we should encourage everybody to worship? Should we do that? Could we as parents determine that? Could we as parents and ushers and leaders and every one of us, can we all agree that, you know what, that's why we come together and it's not about me, it's about him. And if we see someone running around or someone doing, just say, you know what, Let, let's worship together. Because there's a corporate dynamic that is missing other than Sunday morning, right? We need to worship together. So, um, so strongly encouraged because if you really, really, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to worship together. And then finally, this is really the result. See, these things are happening in this New Testament church. I mean, they're being obedient to be baptized because they know what God's word says. They're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They're in fellowship. That means they're living the truth out. They're in communion, and they're showing by the Lord's table. I mean, in other words, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm walking with each other because I'm walking with him he's our north star as it were we're worshiping together and then notice what happened verse 41 then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day there was 3,000 added by the way this principle continues on in fact this is a principle that will that should always be in a church if the other things are happening this last principle is a growing church will always happen Verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Verse, if you go to chapter 4, let me just read some. Chapter 4, verse 4, the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Chapter 5, verse 14, the multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Chapter 6, by the way, these are different churches, but this is what's said of them. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Chapter 9, they were multiplied. Chapter 14, a great multitude, both of Jews and Gentiles, Believed, great, big number, added to, multiplied. The idea is that the church grows. But by the way, I, I'm not trying to say this. You know, always looking at numbers, always trying to get the most in the thing. Because, I mean, you can manipulate and you can also do things that are wrong to just try to get people. But the point is this. If you're living a vibrant, dynamic life, the church itself grows because we're made up of individuals working together. And the evangelism, by the way, wasn't an event by the way, if you look at the evangelism only happening, let's say, on Sunday morning, well, if it doesn't happen there, it's not going to happen. No, no, it wasn't an event. It was a lifestyle. In fact, you could say it this way. 
When was the last time you personally shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with someone? Maybe you didn't share it, but you were walking down the path, you were asking the questions, you were trying to draw the person in. You wanted them to know that they were a sinner condemned to hell under the wrath of God, but they could be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, evangelism is not an event, it's a lifestyle. It's that we are, it's just like, you know, during football season. I can usually tell who are really involved, who really like the Buffalo Bills. I don't know why, but I always, (laughs) no, I like the Buffalo Bills. They get excited. We're the shirts. Man, you know, you'll go, yeah. You know, they walk in on, yeah, they got beat, got beat 32 to 6. It shows all over them. They're excited for their team. Like I said, I like the Buffalo, you know, Bills. Shouldn't we be so excited about Jesus Christ? The one who saved us, you should be in hell, damned forever. Who's given us life, who's given us his spirit, who is, his, we are seeing sins destroyed in our life because he's growing us. And the trials that would have overwhelmed us 10 years ago, we have grown and our trust has grown and he still puts us through trials because he loves us and wants to grow us. Aren't we excited about him? And when you're excited about someone or something, you talk about it, right? You talk about it. And if you haven't talked about him recently, maybe it's because we're not that excited about him. And maybe we need a heart change. Maybe we need revival. See, when the church is committed to Christ, evangelism will be just an overflow of a committed life. Let's just say it that way. It's just an overflow of a committed life. And as F.F. Bruce, a great theologian, once said, or many times said, I guess, we will be like a spreading flame. Because we learn the truth, and it's lived out in corporate. By the way, that's when you really know truth is truth in your life, when it's being lived out amongst others. And so all the components are there, and it's just, it just bleeds all over us. And, and, and we, just, we share because of love. We don't share because of guilt. We don't share because, oh, I have to. It's because I love him, and I want to share him with others. So again, as the old preacher Vance Havner used to say, we must prepare the soil before God will send the rain. It, it is true that God gives the increase, but we have to do some farming, <laughs> teaching, fellowship, communion, worship, praying. Oh, we're doing the farming, but God gives the increase. But I trust that our church does that. Again, we're a teaching, caring, worshiping, evangelizing church. Why? Because we love Jesus Christ. And he said, I will build my church, but he has told us, he has shown us what a real New Testament church looks like. I really thank the Lord that I believe many, if not all, those components are in this church corporately. I trust they're in your own life, though. That you come, even on Sunday morning, man, I, we are going to worship, kids. Sometimes we just get to church, I, oh, I just, you know, I made it through the door. You know what? Prepare your heart. Seriously. Saturday morning, it should be Saturday night, rather. Prepare your heart. Kids, we're going to go to worship tomorrow. By the way, that means you've got to get to bed a little early. Why? Because we're going to worship. And we'll have the, we'll have the clothes laid out. And if they do eat, have the, have the cereal out maybe and the milk. And make it so that it's that, hey, we're going to worship. We're going to learn. We're going to, because God has called us there. And we are excited as parents. And we want you to be. And so instead of staying up to one and just dragging and maybe get to ABF, no, no, we want to learn and grow and worship him together. Right? Amen. That's what needs to happen. If you want that to happen, you're, let's, let's stand and worship him right now. Amen. I remember a story by Robert Browning. It was about a famous musician who, under financial pressure and the influence of popular demand, lowered his standards and produced some inferior works of, of music. Okay? Well, he, was, he had opportunity, this particular musician had opportunity to play his works in, uh, before an audience. And at the end, everyone was clapping and cheering, 
But he looked over in the corner and there was Rossini. Now Rossini was an Italian composer. I think he produced some 31 uh, operas. Huge. The master. And as his eyes met his, his face went down, turned red, because he knew, he knew, that in his estimation, they were inferior works. Everybody's clapping except the master. And I think when it comes to the church, we, may, we need to make sure that he is approving of everything we're doing, right? So that if we're a teaching church, that means that we are thirsty for God's word. We are thirsty. And as a caring church, we are bonded in love to one another. And as a worshiping church, we're a body of believers gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him. And as a growing church, we are seeking to rescue the lost. See, then we look and say, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's pleased with us as individuals and as a church. And I would say this too, if, if you're here and you've never received Christ, you might say, I'm not sure what you're talking about, I, I just come to church. If you've never realized your need, that you need a Savior to forgive your sins because your sins are an offense to the Holy Father, and his wrath is upon you, and you've recognized, I am a sinner, but I thought just going to church would solve that problem. No, no, it's Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He paid for your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. You need to receive him. And I trust that you would receive him even right where you're at. Call out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess your sin and receive him. And if you still say, I don't know what you... Then see myself or one of the leaders up here because we want to show you from the scriptures how you can have salvation, how you can be made right before God, right? Declared righteous. Don't leave here. Don't leave this church building without making sure that you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the examples in your word. We, we pray that as a body of believers here at Alfred Allman, that we might be all that the Lord Jesus wants for us. And Lord, again, thank you that you are changing and growing us. None of us are perfect. We thank you for your patience towards us and your love towards us. And Lord, as we love you, help us to love one another. Please accomplish these different purposes in our life, these different directions in our life, so that, again, we would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.